Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. So happy you're here this morning. We are continuing our family series, and I hope that last week was a blessing to you. If you missed it, you can go online and check that out. We talked about just kind of an entry into the family and what that looks like and where we're going to be heading over the next few weeks. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, which is one of those books of the Bible that really guides the family more maybe than any other. It certainly is talking about the family of God, which is His church and His people and and fellow believers. That's all there. But it also gets into more detail about uh, marriage, about, about children, about all of these different relationships, even as far as the relationship you have among coworkers and bosses. That is all there in the book of Ephesians. That's where we're going to be today in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to talk about something that's kind of dear to me. I, I majored in this, for instance, at, at ECU, and that is communication. Uh, communication is kind of the key behind every relationship, really, without it you don't have friends. <laughs> With, without good communication, you certainly don't have a sustainable relationship of any form. And so it's, it's definitely something uh, biblical, but also something that uh, I hope will be very relevant to you today. Now here's kind of the nature of communication as of late. I'm just going to pop you two images up really quickly. And without, you know, without them saying anything, it says a whole lot. Here's the first image. Uh, this very well might be your house. It's my house a lot. Uh, We are inundated with electronics, and I'm not saying this is negative. It's the nature of where we are now. And so we we just need to be aware that this is one of the obstacles that we deal with, and that is our kids. My three-year-old, for instance, can play games on the Switch that are impressive to me. I, I was at our Wilson campus hanging out with uh, our youth pastor there, and his little boy, he's only like two or three, and he was playing some kind of game, and he was actually shooting all the bad guys and was winning a lot at like two, two and a half. I'm like, my mind is boggled by just what kids are capable of. And, and the reason they're so capable is this has been their experience from day one. They know how to use these electronics. What they don't know how to do so well is speak and speak clearly. Uh, It's not something that is, it's not something that is as necessary as it was when many of us were children and certainly even before me, uh, where communication verbally was the main process. Now we text. (laughs) I prefer texting, in fact, but when it comes to quality communication, you can't do it. It doesn't work there. Here's the next uh, photo. Here's a way, one of many ways, to overcome it. Family dinners, family, some sort of time where maybe I've even heard of people they have a what they call a cell phone prison. That during this particular time, all the cell phones, they have to go to jail. And uh, that might be one of those good occasions to put the cell phones in prison. So that way you have to do this really, really uncomfortable thing and look at each other and open your mouths. It's, I know, it's, it's mind-boggling. In fact, it's really, it's really interesting when you and your wife haven't done that or you and your husband haven't done that in some time. Uh, that, that can be pretty uncomfortable to look each other in the eyes for the first time in 10 years. Uh, that, that's exciting. We're going to be dealing with this kind of idea of what is, what is biblical, what is, what is a communication pattern that really would change your family, certainly, but also your life. We, I've found that more and more people aren't as good at this. Pause for a moment. That last song, y'all, right at the top of my range. Don't know if you knew that, but I know that. It's like a high G there. Boy, I was feeling that one. I love that song, though. It's a good one. When we think about this, this idea of good communication, we may realize something, and I've heard people say this to me before that, I don't have a lot of close friends. You know, I've heard some of you say this to me. I just, I have a, maybe I have one or two, but I just, I don't do very good at having close friends. And it may be, <coughs> we're going to get right. It may be that communication 
is, is something you're either not being enough transparent about or not enough loving about. There might be a lot of, if we could get into the anatomy of what's going on in your dialogue, we might figure out, okay, there's some things we could really fix by the grace of God. And so that's where we want to be today. This, I think, is for absolutely everybody. Because look, even if you're, this is a family series, I get it. And some of you have come in here and maybe you're dating, maybe you're single, but you're not really in this yet. I want you to understand something. Good communication is important on every single level. So whether it's coworkers, just how you interact with your family, your parents, your siblings, all of these things, your close friends. If you're feeling a sense of loneliness today, you don't have to have family or be single to be experiencing some sense of loneliness because perhaps you have too many relationships that there's distance and not enough real closeness. If you're married, maybe you're experiencing a lack of oneness in your family. Maybe the intimacy is gone. Maybe there's a a unity problem that you know you can see it, but you can't quite figure out what's underneath it. You know, I hear a lot of times too, parents tell me when they start having problems with their teens that something occurs, they, they'll say something like this. They'll say, we just, we just can't talk anymore. I'll ask questions or whatever and I just get very vague responses. Fine, I don't know, shrugs. And then when they finally open up, it turns into an argument almost every time. This might even be how it feels in your marriage. You ask questions about his day. And he's had a long one, so he doesn't want to talk. That's often the case. In fact, one of the people writing on marriage says, when divorced couples were asked, when they did this giant survey and asked, why did your marriage fail? 86% of them claimed deficient communication. Well, duh. I mean, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. We stopped communicating well. That happens. I'm surprised it's not 100%. Maybe they just weren't aware of that other 14. (laughs) How can we learn to communicate in a godly way? Well, there's a lot of things that the Bible has to say about this. But I believe as we dig into Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, we're going to see him communicating for a concept that I want you to get around. And that is mutual understanding. That good communication is not being heard or being a good listener. Those things are part of it. It's actually... Mutual understanding. And that's the godly term. As the family of God, we can do this. We can communicate for mutual understanding. I think you're going to see four quick principles as we dig into this text. Only two verses today. I might get y'all out in a quick lunch. You know, it may, we, I'm not going to make any promises, but we might get out of here in a reasonable time. I, it depends on how much y'all inspire me, and so I, I want you to do that. Please please try. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 is what we're going to cover today. Uh, so follow along with me. It's on your screens as well. It says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. How do we communicate for mutual understanding in our family? The first first principle is the most important. You actually can't really do the next three without it. So if you get nothing else today, I pray you get this. That you would make Christ the head. Make Christ the head. Now I know that's interesting language. That's that's the language of the Bible here. So I kept it in place. Because it's a lesson that is good to learn. This word head has become somewhat unpopular. Because we talk about what it means to be the head of household. And it's still something that's legal. And you see this on your tax forms. And we deal with that at least once a year. But when it comes to who truly is that in your home, that's a very touchy spot, right? All right, well, is it, and we talked just briefly last week about who's the head of your household, right? So is it, is it mom? That's kind of the cultural norm is that mom's really in charge. She's, she's leading the roost. But I would argue that's not biblical and it's not, it's certainly not what God intends here. But at the same time, it's not the man either. That's not what the Bible seems to be teaching in this block as well as many others. It's 
Not that father or mother is head of house. And it certainly shouldn't be the thing that I've been seeing more and more. And maybe this is something you're fighting and dealing with in your own home. And that is that the child is head of house. And you wouldn't say it. You probably wouldn't come up to me later and tell me that's really what's going on. But if I could just be a fly on the wall and observe how things are going. Well, Johnny gets his way every time. Little, Sue, little, little Sally, when she does this, mommy and daddy move. Me and Nicole actually last night were picking on a, a song, a little nursery rhyme that was teaching uh, my daughter Brielle a couple of the old nursery rhymes, but they had changed the words on one and I didn't like it. If you're angry and you knew, know it, stomp your feet. That was the way they were teaching this nurse. If you're angry and you know it, stomp your feet. What? Where did that, where, where did that come from? I don't know. Was that always a part of it? Because I can tell you right now, you stomp your feet in anger at my house you're going to have a, a, a new fanny. Like it's, you're going to either go to your room, there's going to be discipline. That's not how, this is not how we operate. Because you know what? We don't get to do that as adults, do we? Oh, I don't get a raise? <laughs> oh, well, I'll probably never give you a raise because you're odd. Like you're, you might want to find other employment. This isn't how the world works. Let's not teach our children that, oh, when I pout, boy, I get my way. That's going to be a rude awakening one day. Head of household. No, there's only one head. Only one head of household according to Scripture. And it's Christ Jesus. He's the head of house. Now, this word is amazing. It's the word kephale. Now, there's a lot of medical terms that I could talk about. To, like encephalitis has something to do with the head. But there's a lot of terms that we still use in the Latin or whatever. Kephale is the idea of head or even head waters. Like the head waters of a river. That means it has to do with the source He's, he's the one who's in charge. He is the founder of the family, as we talked about last week, which means he's the one that designed it, so he's in charge. He knows how it's supposed to work, so when we try to go against it, we're, we're, we're fighting against the very order, the very fabric of what God has done. He's the head. And he says in every way, in verses 15 and 16, in every way, the whole body, this, this is the illustration that Paul is using here, is that God is... He's the brains. He's the source. He's the one that's telling the body what to do. And the church, the family of God, and certainly our families as the body are lining up under Him. Now we can't, we can't even hope to do these other items until we first say, all right, I'm not in charge. Friend, this morning, I, I don't even have to be talking about the family. I could just be, just be talking about any general subject and I could tell you this. Your life isn't going to make a whole lot of sense until Christ is in charge. He's designed you for a specific purpose. He molded you. He, in your mother's womb, He shaped you. And He's got a plan for you. But when you say, well, He's not in charge, I'm in charge, the likelihood that you will follow His course is slim to none. And the power that you have for living, the hope that you have for glory is all wrapped up in Christ Jesus as head. Until you make that step, you're kicking against it and fighting against your very, your very purpose in life. There's other places I could go in the, in the Scripture. Paul writes in Colossians, Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. This is, this is what Scripture is teaching us this morning. What does this look like? What does it look like to actually start having understanding in my life, understanding in my household? That means from now on, the conversations I have with my spouse, with my children, with my parents, my focus is, Christ, you're in charge of my life. That changes everything. If I start looking, and, and y'all might think that I have like, well, most of you don't because you've been in my house and you, you've been around me enough, but some of you might think, you know, pastor's probably got a rock-solid marriage, right? Like he does the right thing. All this wonderful counseling stuff that he gives us all the time, I know he's practicing at home. Yeah, I, I wish that was true. Um, it is sometimes. But you know what? I have this problem. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. <laughs> and I'm lazy sometimes. That's really what's underneath my problems in communication is that sometimes... I'm just too lazy to really try hard enough. And communication takes effort. 
In fact, if I disagree with you, in order to really understand you, I've got to listen and think about your arguments. That takes energy. That's where I often fail is that I don't put enough energy into my communication. It's really hard too when you know what's right and you still don't do it. That's tough. (laughs) In fact, my wife sometimes comes to me and and is like, all right, I need you to not be husband Jonathan right now. I need you to be pastor Jonathan. How would you counsel me on this? Do you realize what a nuclear missile that is in my brain when she says that? Like, I don't know how to separate myself from myself because you're talking to me about a situation I'm involved in. I don't know how to counsel me in this. It's really difficult to, to counsel yourself. But in Christ Jesus... That's the very thing we can do here. Instead of always looking at the problems, at the symptoms, we got to go back to the source. Now, this is interesting that Christ here is mentioned as the head, as the headwaters, in fact. We've learned something over time, things we may have not known earlier in human history, that things about drinking water, for instance, like... They used to do some really wild stuff in other places of the world, and we, we shouldn't fault them for it because we're standing on the backs of a lot of people who learn things scientifically. But they used to would wash things, or, or even they would use this part of the river for as a restroom, if you will. That, that, that They would do all these kinds of things, but they wouldn't think very hard about how the water was actually traveling. And so then they would drink from things and get all of these sicknesses and all these awful things would happen to them because they didn't realize that the headwaters had become polluted and had caused everything downstream to become unusable. These are things we know. We know them now. And yet, when it comes to relational things, we often try to address the symptoms rather than come back to the source. We say, well, my kid is constantly misbehaving. Okay, that's a symptom. What's underneath that? Is there headship in your house that is clear? Does this child know my daddy follows Jesus? My mommy follows Christ? And over time, does this child himself or herself make that decision? Because something's got to happen at some point in raising a a kid where you you fully hand them off to the Lord and you can't be there anymore. They're going to go be an adult somewhere. And they're going to be shaped by headship. Who's in charge? You're in charge for now. But the best thing you can do is to begin to say, all right, I'm not in charge either. Son, daughter, I'm not in charge. He's in charge. So you got this, God. Make that great handoff. You spend 18 years doing that. It's an 18-year handoff. Hopefully. Sometimes they boomerang, I've been told. I kind of boomeranged a little bit myself. Uh, Life can be hard. Have you made Christ the head of your house? That, that's a necessity. That's, the, that's, a, that's a, a step in these principles that we have to say yes to. Now here's the next, and it really feeds off this. When Christ becomes my source, He's the headwater, He's the head. Now pouring out of Him is this thing called love. And that's the next principle. Make love the motive. Christ is head, He's in charge. God, the Bible says, is love. God is love. Agape, unconditional, grace-filled, mercy-full kind of love. That's the kind of love that now pours out in you personally to people you don't even like that much. No, God's love is pouring out. And certainly to the people you love most, His merciful, unconditional love is pouring out. Now this becomes, think about that word motive. This is what, Paul is saying here in verse 15, he's saying, our speaking, the truth is in what? Love. Boy, I'm so glad. I find that the, ba- the balance in the Bible is always so, it's so encouraging to me because it's so real. I recognize that in this very room, there's, there's probably two types of people. There might be a third. The third is the apathetic person who doesn't have any interest in any confrontation uh, it may not be apathy, it might just be something else, but I, I sometimes fall there. But generally, if this is a conversation that I care about, and we all do, we all have certain discussions that we are passionate about, I'm going to fall in either one of two camps. Highly truthful or highly loving. A balance would be somewhere nice in the center that's, that, that is salty with truth, <laughs> but also with love. 
That's, this is the important component. Paul doesn't just say, all right, families of God, people of God, speak truth to one another. That would be a, that would be a true statement. Don't be dishonest with each other. Be people of integrity. Tell each other the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Give them the truth. But he doesn't leave it there. You know why? Because he knows us. And there's some truth tellers in this room. You know who you are. You're the kind of person that will tell me later on, you know, I just have to tell it like it is. I have to tell it like it is. Great. I hear you. Just know that there's a reason you don't have a lot of friends. All right, Because you constantly tell it like it is and you don't think about how it makes everyone else around you feel. There's a balance. You should tell it like it is. I'm not dissuading you from being truthful. No, be honest and be yourself. But you better find some agape love in your language. Parents, (laughs) we have to move to this more and more. This is, I think, the great transition that has to begin. As a child, as a young person, it's mostly concrete truth. They know that we love them by the way that we hug and the way that we, we show them physical touch, the way that we provide. But our, we need these concrete truths. But over time, as they're teenagers and moving on, they need to know that we care in, our, in the way that we describe things. And I think it gets more challenging when these young brains actually really start thinking about abstract things. And then we have to move to this new truth with lots of love. Truth tellers in the room, this, this one's for you. Don't worry, I'll get the other people here in just a moment. I'm going to get after them too. In order for each part to really work right, in order for us to be built up in love, it means that we have to get really serious about this thing this communication that binds us together in love. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, he says, above all these put on love. Now he had just mentioned a lot of wonderful things. In fact, in another passage he says, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is what? Love. You might could argue that one of the great, you know, maybe the doctrine that really unpacks everything biblically is God's love. That underneath so much of what He did is His love for us. And if we are to call ourselves led by God, if we say Christ is the head but our house isn't full of love, something's wrong. Something's wrong. What we say is true is not what seems to actually be happening. In Colossians 3 it says, put on all, above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He, he writes in Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. Excuse me, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Ephesians 4, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. (laughs) So loving conversation does not include unwholesome talk. Now, This isn't necessarily in your physical family, although I imagine it's happening on some level at your house. But what happens a lot of times in an organization, an organization like the church, is that we shape unwholesome talk by saying, bless his heart. Oh, bless your heart. And then we say something awful. Or we come up to one another and we're like, you know, I've been really praying for Johnny. You wouldn't believe what he just did. Well, that's gossip. And if y'all were like me, you're going you're gonna to find that I, I'm no fan of that. And so if you come, oh, bless his heart, you wouldn't believe what just happened at my... Wait, is this something that this person told you in confidence? Like, we're destroying relationships all the time in the name of, oh, bless his heart. It's so strange. Where this love, this, this, this thing, if we could do this as a church, if the people of God were serious about no unwholesome talk, I'm telling you people would want to be here. They'd want to be involved in this because it's so hard to find real people who are genuine to your face all the time and they don't talk about you when you're not around. It's so hard to find that. I bet almost all of you work in organizations outside of this place where people backstab one another. They cut each other down. It's so hard to find real genuine people who will show you grace. They may not like you. 
You know what? I like the kind of people in my life that even though they don't like me, they just tell me that. That's really great. Now, maybe you're not ready for that. You need to thicken up a little bit. But I'd rather you just say, you know, I'm probably going to tell other people that you're a dirtbag because you're a dirtbag. You know, I just, just give me that. Give me that to my face. There's at least some integrity in that. But church folks, we're funny. We do things in the shadows. And God is not pleased. He's not impressed with it. No, instead, let's let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Let's be the kind of church as James describes. He says, a a love that listens. Understand this, he writes in chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. There's a game changer, friends. This this might help you get a promotion. (laughs) What'd you say, boss? Asking clarifying questions rather than just yep, 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 yep. Now, slow to speak, quick to listen. Now, I want to talk to you about something here that I, I found interesting. And, and I, my wife's in the room right now, so she's going to hold this, hold me to this, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I, think, I was thinking about something this week about how motivated I really was when we were first dating. All right? Run with me for just a moment. I was extremely motivated to think about how to see her in the next moment, or how what was the next adventure we were going to go on together. Those first few months of dating, like we both were on campus at East Carolina University, and she had very different classes. She lived in a different part of campus, and I would find ways to get my trajectory on, on hers. I, I, I would walk paths that would get me way out of where I needed to be going, just so I might just bump into her one more time, because I didn't have a cell phone. Woohoo! I didn't have that electronic leash all the time. It was so great those days. But anyway, so I had to do these creative things to maybe spot her. And it would work sometimes. I would go way out of my way. I'd be late to class. I know that's bad, but I'd do this. I was so motivated to just talk to her and see her. And I was thinking outside about, all right, the next date, this is what we're going to do. I says, she's really going to love this. Now, I don't do that so much anymore. Now, that's a flaw. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is, not an excuse, but rather a reality. The reality is, I'm never not with her. And so, she doesn't, she didn't in those days see me on my bad behavior. She always saw me at my best. But then, you know, when I needed a little bit of alone time, which I've learned over time, I need a lot of. I'm just an introverted person. In those days, though, I could go back to my dorm room and and just chill out. And if I didn't want to talk anymore, I didn't have to talk anymore. And the conversations were new and fresh, and we were learning new things. Now, there's a few conversations we've probably had, I don't know, 2,000 times. Some arguments we've argued about so many times, we're both tired of it. We look at each other like, oh, not this again. And it's because, okay, well, we thought we'd handled it, but wait a minute, there was some other edge to it that we didn't quite get at. We didn't discuss that. But also, love was my motive then. Now it's too often my comfort. You see, see what I'm saying? I was motivated to show her love. And that can change. That, that I can restore. Because Christ's love in me pours out to others. Certainly to my spouse. Certainly to my children. Here's a couple of quickies. A couple of quick give-me's right here. That'll help you. And some of you have heard these before, but they're, they're always going to be true, so I don't really get to change things up too much. If you're a note taker, these will help you some. Poor, here's some poor listening habits, and you probably do some of these. Some ways that you don't show love. Poor listening habits. First is pseudo-listening fakes interest. Oh, really? Is that, is that really? And you're, not, you're totally tuned out, but... Men are really good at this, women. If you haven't figured this out yet, if, if our eyes are on a game or, or on something else, we're really good at saying, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And over time, we get really good with vocal inflections too. Like we can hear that your voice is getting louder. Yeah, I can't believe it. We didn't hear a thing you just said. We have no clue what you just said, but we've gotten good at seeming like we have. Now, men, that's, that's fake, li- that's pseudo-listening, and it's not loving. Now, wives, you can help us with that. I tell my wife, interrupt my vision, please. 
Like if, 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 just make sure my eye contact means a lot. So if you don't have my eyes, then I'm probably failing. So help me and I'll, I'll do my, I'll do better. Selective listening tunes in only on points of interest. Kids are notorious for this. You can go tell them to clean their room. They're like, huh, what did you say? But you can be in another room and just, Nate, you wouldn't believe what Nate did. And they'll come barging in. What are you talking about about me? That's selective listening. They only tune in when they want to. And we do that too as adults sometimes. I don't really care about what he or she's saying right now. Wait a minute. Whoa, that was interesting. That's not loving. Protective listening tunes out threatening messages. This is the person who's hyper-defensive every time. Oh, wait a minute. That, that, I wasn't even necessarily talking about you when I said that, but you got super, like I was attacking you. No, I was talking about the children, but I thought you were talking about the way I parent the kids. Defensive, defensive, defensive. Now here's some good listening habits, friends. Listens with the attitude that the family members' comments are top priority. That means, guys, a lot of times we need to turn off the TV. We need to put down the phone. Women, put down the phone. I don't know how, I don't know how y'all's wives are, but that thing is full of Facebook reels and fun things to watch. Listens, about, listens without thinking about what they're going to say in response. Now, boy, this is a good one, right? Actually, just hear what they say. I'm really bad at this one. I love to argue a little bit. I don't know if you've picked that up. I, I, like, I like to debate. I like to try to win an argument. And so as, some, as soon as you tell me a piece of information I disagree with, I'm already running down all the ways you're wrong so that I can tell you, right? Instead of hearing you and really listening through your progression, go, oh, Okay, I see how you got there. What ends up happening is I didn't hear you at all and I end up placing blame on you or, or something in, on your argument that you didn't even mean because I was already thinking about my response. Ask clarifying questions. That's a good listener. What did you mean when you said that? And then non-verbals. You may have heard this before, but 93% of what you communicate according to those who have kind of worked on this, 93% of it, isn't even your words. Only 7% of communication is the things you say. Everything else is your body language or your tone of voice. There's all these other things. I love you. Well, that felt weird. I love you. You could say really great things in a mean way and be confused about it. Like, do you see how, we, how, how funny people are? And this is why communication that's really important over text is so, so ineffective because there's no nonverbals. We don't know what you're, how did you feel? How did you feel? Even a phone isn't quite enough. I need to see your face. Love is the motive. Love is the motive. I think some things could go better in your house this very week. If you would just look at each other in the eyes, maybe you're, Parent-child, child-to-parent, maybe husband and wife. If you could just actually look at each other without the harsh tones, without the scowls, without the rolling of eyes. Just remove some of that stuff for a whole week and go, wait a minute, talking to you isn't so bad. I find that adults don't necessarily grow out of childish behavior unless Christ is the head. The same stuff we were doing when we were kids. We still do it now, but we're adults, so we don't get in trouble for it. And we pout. And we stomp. And we walk out of rooms. That's not a good confrontation. Oh, I don't feel like fighting right now. I'm going to go slam a door and go hide in this other room. Okay. Your children do that. When love is the motive, changes that. My goal of communication now is to show this person I love them and I care. I may not agree with them on everything, but I love them enough to stay in the room, to stay at the table, and to work it out. Now, lots of love. The, the next thing is equally as important. These things are in balance, and that is to make truth the content. I know you truth tellers in the room are like, okay, come on, come on with it. Bring that in too because I'm tired of phony people and fake people. We all are. We're all tired 
of fake information and not knowing what's true. This, it, we're inundated as a people with, with lies and, and false things and we want the truth. This is what people really want in a relationship and certainly it should be your content. Truth should be the content. But what kind of truth? It's really specific here in the text because this truth is found in the head who is Christ Jesus. Not Literally, just not just speaking the truth, but living it out. This is a funny word here in verse 15. The word doesn't mean speaking. This is where sometimes translations are really, really hard. Literally, what it means here is truthing. Truthing in love. Well, that's a funny word. Okay, I don't, I don't know how truth became a verb, but it's a verb in Greek, all right? That is... That, that, that means that what, is, what Paul is saying here is that the way you speak surely is in, pl- is in view. All the translators went speaking the truth. But it also has to do, I think, with doing truth, with living out truth. I'm truthing in love. That means what I say and what I do, they match. I am what I say I am. I, the words that I speak line up with my activity truthing in love. The main truth as found here, the thing that Paul is really speaking of, is Christ and His Word. John chapter 8, it says this, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Colossians, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This truth is in Christ. That means the content of your message is the truth in Jesus. That means when we call ourselves truth tellers, what we should mean as believers is that we're constantly coming back to the Word of God. That when we give people truths, it's, it's, it's always in Christ Jesus. That it's not enough to just say, okay, you screwed up. No, it's bigger than that. It's and I, there might be a lot of different examples I could give, but a, a way to work on a child is to say, okay, I, I understand that what you did, it made me mad. It made me frustrated. It hurt my feelings. And, I, and most kids kind of care about that. They may not tell you that, but they don't want to live in a house where mommy or daddy is displeased with them all the time. They don't want that. Who wants that? But the better connection is to say this, this activity of your heart or your action, it hurts God's heart. That the, the greater connection is that the truth, these things that matter in life, biblically and spiritually, they're things that God cares about. And you've broken His heart. That's more important than what you've done to me. Uh, again, we're trying to make this connection. And so when we talk to one another outside of a parenting, that that. that what we're really trying to help people see is that, you know, God has a better plan for you. There's, a God, there's, there's God's best and then there's man's best. And so it's not so much that I need you to do better for my sake. I need you to try to do better because God has better for you. You know, that's a different kind of truth. That's really what Paul is trying to get at here is that this truth is in, is in Christ Jesus. You could go on further into chapter 4 there and see that more clearly. Ephesians 4.25, in fact, it says about being honest and being in communication. It says, stop lying to each other. Tell the truth to your neighbor. We all belong to the same body. So here's, here's some dangers, all right? Just throwing these out really quickly. A couple of dangers of being all loving and not truthful is that now, sometimes you're guided to not give people the thing they really need to hear. I don't, want, I don't want this person to be mad at me. I don't want to break this relationship, so I'm scared to tell them that they're an alcoholic. I'm scared to tell them that this thing that might kill them, I don't want them to be mad at me about it. No, I, I, instead of that, find a way to tell them that truth with grace, say, seems to me this is, a, this is a struggle that's really starting to have impact on your life. It's really starting to change your decisions financially. You're breaking down relationships. We still share these truths, but with love. We don't get so soft. 
Swindoll, when he was talking about this in his commentary, he says there's a real danger in going too far to either side. If you're all truthful, then you become too hard for people to hear you. But if you're too loving, you become too soft to be any good. So you've got to be somewhere. <laughs> there's these two dangerous ditches, but you've got to be in the middle in this road called love and liberty and freedom rather than so far over here that you're harsh or too far over here that you're soft. Something to think about in your own fights, in your own, I don't know, arguments that you have from time to time is how often are they filled with untruthful, dishonest kind of communication. Nobody likes to lose an argument. Just know that coming into it. No one likes to lose. Everybody wants to win the fight. And so then you'll throw a little, little, little speak bomb in there a little bit and just say, you know, you never make the bed. Okay, that sounds petty, right? That sounds petty. You never take out the trash. Guess what? If that was a wife to her husband, guess what he's going to do? He's going to think of the last time he did it. Now, maybe he's literally never done it. Okay, that's, I guess that's possible. I doubt it. He's probably done it. He certainly isn't doing it enough, okay? So you say, you never do this. And so instead of actually discussing it, he's just thinking about all the times he did do it and go, you're wrong about that, clearly. And so it's just a semantic argument about how you said never and it wasn't true. Or he'll say, you know, you're always such a nag. Or she'll say, you never really talk to me. Or he'll say, you always have a headache. That's about something else if you didn't catch it. But I know what y'all fight about. You can't fool me. I've been married for 17 years almost. I know what I fight about sometimes. And sometimes it's these words that aren't true. It's, it's, un, it's, it's exaggeration, which is a form of lying. Never say never, we used to hear growing up. Always avoid always and never say never. Those are some ways to get some exaggeration out of your conversation. But there's some really great things you can do to be truthful. Rather than constantly, and this is good preaching too. Some of y'all, you know, if you want to go to getting down this route at some point, it's better to say I and we than it is to say you and y'all. And this is how we fight. We fight with fingers forward, saying, you always, you never, and, and we point the finger rather than saying, I don't feel, I don't feel what you're trying to say right now. I, I don't understand what you're trying to do. I, the conversation starts with I and the, and the way that I'm interpreting it. When I hear you say that, it makes me think this. Is that true? Well, no, no, no. I never, that's not what I meant when I said, okay, okay. I was just bit trying to, you know, be clear on this rather than say, well, you, you, you're always so mean. Every time you say that kind of stuff, it's so, it's so malicious. Now, we know how to do that. We're good at going and hitting the red button, right? We're really good at that. We're not so good at saying, okay, wait a minute. Hold. When you say that, it makes me feel this way. Am I understanding that correctly now? <laughs> that would be different. That would be a more transparent kind of fight. That would be more honest in that this is, I only know my side of this argument. So, Lastly, last piece, last principle is that we make oneness the goal. So Christ is the head. Love is our motive. Truth is our content. And what we really want at the end of the day is oneness. So what's your goal? Who's in charge? Okay, Jesus is in charge. Got it. All right, what's the goal? What's the goal of every conversation? What's the goal of our parenting styles, of our marriage techniques? What's the goal of the way we treat one another at work? What's the goal? If it's anything short of unity, it's a shortcoming. If it's anything less than oneness, then we've, we've, we've missed the mark somewhat. 
This is the body of Christ, the family of God. There is one body. This is where Paul has been for several chapters. This is what he's been working out, is that we are one, one spirit, one body, one baptism. All of these things he's been getting at because the oneness of God in his church is what's priority. This is what the mark of, our, of believers should be, is that we're connected and we are one and we treat each other with respect and love and dignity and we do it because our main goal, our main purpose is to be one in Christ Jesus. That we would be joined and held together. And so now, the point of my argument, the point of us having this discussion is not so that I can win. It's so that at the end of the day, me and you are unified again. You, you and I now see things similarly and go, okay, I didn't fully see it your way, but now I'm getting there. I'm understanding it. Oneness has become my goal. Look, this is, the, this is what I was mentioning earlier. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, just earlier in our text. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oneness. This is the whole point of the body illustration that Paul is giving here. That when we speak the truth in love, when we make Christ the head, that the body works together as one. And that's a more pleasant place to live. Now I want to end with a couple of thoughts. One writer, this is in a, an article called The Benefit of Family Mealtime. This, this writer, Jill Anderson, writes, Regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, tobacco use, early teenage pregnancy, and higher rates of resilience and higher self-esteem. Holy moly. Like somehow, is it that you're eating better or something? Well, maybe. Maybe. I think you can still do these family dinners and just bring fast food in. Um, that's certainly not the right approach for your body. But that's not the point of this. The point is that you would actually sit together in a space that's free of, distra of distractions. I think my parents did a lot of things right growing up. One of them was this old school, if you will, approach. And that is family ate together every night. Every night. I mean, if we had sports or something, sometimes it would interrupt that, but that was rare. We were constantly at the table together. And my dad would ask questions. It's not just that we sat there and ate, it's that we communicated. And an acceptable answer, there was, there was no such answer like, um, you know, my day was fine. That was never an acceptable answer. Okay, elaborate. My dad would just say, well, explain that. And I think that was part of the success of, of, of what, what happened in my household growing up was just simple steps like that. We make this so complicated sometimes. Just find some time in your life for, where your family is together and talking and undistracted. We do this other thing. You're welcome to use it. Every Friday night is family night at the Combs house. If you invite me to something on a Friday night, I'll never go. I'm sorry, I just won't. Because, believe it or not, uh, I, I think the Bible says uh, if you don't lead your household well, you're really not responsible for leading the church. And I think that's very true. I, I'm, I'm not going to be some great model up here if I can't figure out how to do family. And so I think there's some real truth to that. And so Friday nights, they're fun. We hang out. Oftentimes, me and Nicole are like, why do we do this? <laughs> Behind the scenes, just so you know, we look at each other and we're like, this is exhausting. Right, Because my kids are young still, and they do really ridiculous stuff together. My three-year-old is chaos, just, just chaos in a body. She eats frosting off the top shelf. You can't stop her. We keep hiding it. She, she's a ninja. She finds it. She, she eats things in the cabinets that I would have never thought. She ate cocoa powder the other week. It looked like chocolate. I'm like, okay, I get that. But like, wow, that was hiding in a corner on the top shelf. And she takes things out of her kitchen 
that she knows, you know, she watches mom and dad cook this way. And so she takes these items and pours things with water and then dumps them all over the house. I just, I'll be walking through and suddenly slosh my sock in something wet. If y'all have never felt that, it's just the worst. Just, I have wet sock and I'm hoping it's water. I'm just hoping it's water and not something else because she's still potty training. That's just one of my four. It's chaos. Family nights, oh my Lord, they're loud. Family dinners, oh, you're telling me to have family dinners? Well, Jonathan, you should come to my house for family dinner. It, the decimal level is so high. It's, it's eardrum busting. Okay, I feel you. I know. I know. And yet my kids seem to love it. And they want to talk to me about, about stuff. I build these habits in place not because they're comfortable, but because they work. And over time, they get sweeter, I think. It's more, it's more fun as, as they're getting older. It's just that, you know, you know what little kids do? They do little kids' things. And I try not to be so frustrated about that, but I'm on my fourth, and so it's starting to wear on me. Y'all pray for your pastor. Make oneness the goal. Make oneness the goal. Church, if we do this, Certainly as the family of God, if we as a church, as the people of God, make Christ the head, if we make love our motivation, the way we communicate with each other is enriched with love. And we tell each other the truth. And then the whole goal is that we would be unified. Boy, what an amazing place this will be to be. And we can be that. We already are in many parts these things. But we can, we can do even more. Make Christ the head. Love the motive. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're, you're a loving God first, that these things you call us to, and I say this often, Lord, <coughs> the things you challenged us towards, you did, you did them first. You were loving first. You were truthful first. That's the joy of the gospel to me, Lord, is not that you tell us we're okay. But you say, in fact, your word is clear and, and your sacrifice to us is clear in that we are broken. We, we, we have made mistakes. We are flawed and we have deficiencies. But God, you don't leave us there. That's the truth. And then the love is poured out on display at the cross. You put all of this, the, this very idea of truthing and love. God, you did it first. And you modeled it perfectly. And now you're simply challenging us to follow you to follow you. And I'm prayerful for your people, for myself, for this church, that we would be the kind of people that communicate for this godly kind of understanding. God, would you do some things in some families this very week? I recognize that even tonight, maybe there's, there's a husband and wife that are in this room right now and they've been fighting some this week. And they've not, they've not, reconciled. I pray this evening, maybe over lunch, God, you would stir in their hearts, help them to find reconciliation for each other. Maybe there's a parent-child. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the child here today, and maybe you're an adult, but you've just never reconciled to, to that mom, to that dad. That I pray right now the Holy Spirit would encourage you and embolden you to reconcile. That for your part, the, part, the only part you can control that you would give Christ that relationship, make Him the head, make Him the source, and then that love and truth and oneness would guide you. God, would you do that in us? Reveal those broken relationships right now in us and those places that you want to move, that you want to work and act in our life. And God, I pray in that you will bring people to your son, Jesus, that in all of this you will get the glory God, I pray that this would be the kind of church that models this well. So far, Lord, we're a smaller body, a smaller congregation. So it would make sense, Lord, that you would make us tight-knit, make us like a family, that the love in this place would be clear, that the truth would be on display, and that our unity would be unmatched in our, in our community. I pray that that would be a great witness to this city, that people would know us, by our reconciliation, by our unity, by our love, by the truth of Christ so evident in this place. God, would you do that in us? We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.